Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1960. The album is I Am Not a Nut, Elect Me. The artist Lenny Bruce and my guest is Rich Scheidner. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Um, so, as I was just saying, I haven't done this album since probably five years ago or so, when Matt Besser first picked it. And he had his own reasons, but I mean, you're a stand-up... You're a documentarian, you're an author, and then you had a resurgence, you came back to stand-up. Right. What, uh, what about this album is, sticks with you still? It's one of the first albums I ever heard. A friend of mine turned me onto it in 1972, and this was five years before I, ever, I was 19, mm -hmm. and I never stood on stage. And so I didn't even understand anything about what the Palladium was. Okay, yeah, sure. I didn't sure. understand. It was my first album introduction to Lenny Bruce. Yeah. And, uh, and I'd been listening to George Carlin and Cheech and Chong. Sure. So... But I recognize this almost to me like this is the the next level. I I, I or the origin or the beginning of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You could just tell, um, and I just even though I didn't understand anything about the insanity of the Palladium mm -hmm. and Art Dell, I understood about a guy who just reaching too much. I just understood about <laughs> a guy with with just who just doesn't as not, without an ounce of self awareness. I'm 19 yeah. with not even a smidgen of self awareness. Yeah. I understood this guy comically was a beyond, beyond beyond right you know so, it's funny it's like the way you say i'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you go ahead uh, but uh have you ever seen the movie 13th warrior this is a total it's gonna no, seem like a total no, no. it's a weird it's not a great movie i came out in the late 90s but there's a scene in that movie where antonio banderas who is supposed to be arabic uh, speak, speak arabic for some reason comes <laughs> meet, meets a group of vikings doesn't speak the language and then just through slowly through osmosis he learns it and that's what this album feels like to me because there's so much shit going above my head but eventually it's like i kind of get it now even though just because i've been listening to him right. talk you know right. there's right. something magical about yeah. the pattern of this yeah. and another thing that, that i'm looking back on and funny just is funny like mm -hmm. the guy talks funny he there are, there are comics to me who just are funny the way they talk the way they move um they're just funny. Yeah. You know, Red Fox, he just moves, sure. talk, talk funny. A uh, friend of mine, Bobby Slayton, talks mm -hmm. funny, moves funny. They're just the way they're, they're just funny. And Lenny Bruce sounded funny to me. I can see that, yeah. You know, I could look back and go, yeah, I, I could see I was, of course I was, I was high as a kite <laughs> most of the time I listened to the albums. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a good introduction. Where are you from originally? New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah. So at 19, you're still in New Jersey? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so what, so yeah, like you said, you're listening to Carlin, you're listening to, G, but you're listening to them for pure entertainment. This yeah, is not a thing Yeah, but they're do. not the first albums I listened to. That's what I was listening to for myself. My okay. dad, when I was real young in the, in the early you know, 60s, the golden age of comedy albums, mm -hmm. he didn't have Lenny Bruce. He didn't have Mort Saul, but he had Bob Newhart. Sure. He had, uh, of course, uh, Bill Cosby. He mm -hmm. had uh, the 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 first family, which was a big album at the time. Of course, we played. I played that like crazy. I have about. He had Jonathan Winters, which I didn't really get Jonathan Winters until I saw. That's him. hard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I that, get that. But he he had my dad had gone and seen him. My dad was like a wasn't a hipster at the time. Mm -hmm. He looking back as a young guy, and in that time he was so he'd be thirty. He'd be like twenty seven years old, twenty eight okay. years old. Sure. In sixties, so. He went out to saw comics. He went. He he loved comedy, so he went out and saw stand up comics in nightclubs, like old school nightclubs, oh, dinner clubs. Great. Sit down, have a dinner, or see a show. Mm -hmm. So he saw all sorts of comics, and looking back, I mean, that was influential to me. I bet. So what uh, did your dad do? 
He was. He had an insurance business. He he built a little agency, that, mm-hmm. and, and and that was his. That's what he did. You know, but casually, wasn't selling insurance, but uh-huh. people come in and insure their house, their car, that that sort of thing. But to relax, he really liked to do he loved, comedy. He loved comedy. That's he so loved good. It, yeah. Did you get? Well, I guess you couldn't have really gone out to any clubs. You would have been too young. Oh, maybe no, it would have no, been a no, little too. Uh, no, no, can't bring a kid. No, no. Friend, you know, my my daughters found my daughter. One of my daughters, both of them lived up in San Francisco, and they found this little shop, and the guy had a poster. That was like you know um, Lenny Bruce. It was a Lenny Bruce uh, billboard, you know, mm-hmm. for for and an opening act, and you, they put my name in it, ah, right? So opening awesome. act, Rich Schneider, this 1961 Love Lenny Bruce it. concert, right? <laughs> and so I put this and I I posted it on Facebook, <laughs> and people go, "You open for Lenny Bruce?" <laughs> Oh my god! I had no idea. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." I was I was eight years old. I hitchhiked across the country, and uh, it was an amazing experience. It changed my life, no doubt about it. Holy crap! I love that. Oh, that's so amazing. This album I'd forgotten because I'm I don't know what I'm used to. He doesn't have Lenny Bruce is not is so inconsistent. I don't mean that as an insult, but like his style is just so weird from album to album. And this one is just I feel like it's a good one to introduce introduce anybody to him because except for there's not a whole lot of quote-unquote language in it but it, there's there's plenty of uh uh social stuff and then the, but it's also kind of he's telling stories but he's also doing sketch it's a weird mix of stuff for a did, stand-up to do did, did you ever um listen to kitty bruce's daughter put mm-hmm. out uh, a box set of cds called let the buyer beware you know what i've seen it but no it's i have great not. because the these albums Whenever we did talk shows, and I did a bunch of talk shows, Tonight Show, mm-hmm. Letterman, all these shows, you'd pull bits out of your, of your act. You'd pull a bit out of, you'd pull a joke out of this bit. You pull mm-hmm. a joke out of a water skiing bit, and then attach it to a joke about getting a haircut. Okay, you'd pull like the best bits out and slap them all together to form this little five minute piece that sometimes thematically was just hung together with these weird segues. You, mm-hmm. know? you know, and I fell water skiing, and when I came out of the water, my hair was messed up. You ever go to the haircut? And, <laughs> right, know, right, right. So it's these weird little segues and stuff. And and these albums are like that to me sometimes. Yeah. You know, you could tell they just pulled a piece out here and a piece out there, and it may have been different nights and different performances. Yeah. And there's there's not like a like a like today you see somebody like if we if Lenny Bruce was today you'd get an hour special of him one piece yes performing one one hour so there's this whole hour yeah right so you have this continuation and thematically and that's where he is at that time of his life and his career right. everything fits better yeah this Feels is more natural they're unnatural so, they're unnatural very very much so very funny but like it's also the editing is real clunky yeah yeah real clunky. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and imagine then recording the oh, yeah. systems they had then. Right, which is all you know. It it would have been at best, you know, some some solid, some good tape, and uh, some ho- some hopefully trustworthy microphones, and then they got to yeah. cut it all with razor r- yeah. razor blades. So yeah. like, it's it's understandably clunky, but it is really fun. Like, because you can hear like the first, basically the first half of the album is all is the whole story about a comic about a comic bombing. Yeah, and you can tell it was probably. A forty-five minute bit. <laughs> it's what it feels like. And they're like, nope, screw it. Got to cut this out. Cut this out. Just fit I, it on I, one side. Yeah, I've heard um, different versions of it. Have you? Okay. Yeah, I think it's also on uh, the uh, the Palladium. Uh, is also on um, the Carnegie Hall thing. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. I know, I know it's on Curran, the Curran Theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also um, it's on Buyer Beware. A different version on Buyer Beware. Okay. Where he's doing it in a club, a nightclub. All right. Right. That you you hear that. So normally the versions run about seventeen to twenty minutes. So I okay. don't think there's anything really cut out of that. Okay, I just... think that it is a long piece. It is probably one of the longest stand-up pieces you'll hear. Mm-hmm. 
It's a long, a twenty-minute piece. Comics just don't commit to that today. Sure, sure. yeah, you know, commit to that anytime. That it's really doing, commitment. Doing characters—that's the other thing. Like, <sighs> I, it, it's crazy. I mean, it seems pretty ballsy. I and I don't know. I can't. When I listen to it, like I know his voice. You know what yeah. I mean? Not just his verbal voice, but his yeah. comedic voice. But I can't tell what he's going for as much as I love it. Like, I don't know if he's like, no, nah, this is a funny thing. I just want to do this for 20 minutes. I can't tell. I think he's really, it's a really taken apart showbiz. Yeah. It's greatest to me showbiz story, stand-up piece mm -hmm. ever. It's one of the best stand-up pieces ever. Yeah. I'd put it top 10 easily. Mm -hmm. uh, it's great satire. It's it's funny. Yeah. It's it's human nature, the hubris, the, the, the insane mm -hmm. ambition. Uh, it's a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of, to me a lot of things, and and um, yeah, I just it's just it's just funny to me. There's so many great pieces in it. Did you listen to this album? And I mean, did, was there any album you ever listened to? Was like, I have to do this now, or maybe I could do this. Like, was there ever no, a moment? I know when I first heard this, it was I was not even close. Like I said, not I even, yeah. heard this five years later before I got on stage mm -hmm. the first time to try stand up. I danced around that microphone for a long time. Yeah. It's in my book. Um, uh, the, the new book, Kicking Through the Ashes. Okay. It's in that book about how I, my getting to it was a, was a torturous thing, you know, trying it, I wanted, you know, to get to that point where I do it the first time. I loved it. I loved it. I knew I was funny. Mm -hmm. I was always funny around people. I, I, I was funny from the earliest memories, being funny. But sure. I, but to actually go out and try that, I had no idea that was possible. I didn't know what that was. I had no concept of show business. I don't even think I even understood anything about show business. Man, that's that again. That's one of the reasons I don't do stand up. I've never, A, I've never had the drive to just go up and do, but to, like you said, to dance around it, as you put it, for five years. Like, what's holding you back for so long? Well, I was never a performer. I yeah. never was somebody who did theater in school or okay. that. I was an athlete and I didn't, I didn't perform theater or, or do, and I, and I couldn't publicly speak. I was, I was, I was shy, quiet, or I guess that in that way. Okay. You know, uh, but. Uh, so it was very hard to imagine going up there and trying to make people laugh. That's the biggest transition every stand-up has to make, from making your friends laugh in the moment, spontaneously, off the cuff, to making strangers laugh on cue. That's a huge transition. Yeah, huh. That's a huge, that takes planning and then effort and learn how to do the craft and how to transfer that funny into funny around your friends into funny around strangers. It's just a big transition. Sure. Did you when you, when you first get up there, like, what's... What's your idea of material? Or is it just <laughs> jokes? Is it just like, I'm going to do what you I know, can? I did this. This is 1977. It was okay. in Washington, D.C. There are no comedy clubs. Oh, right. Yeah. There are no comedy clubs back then. Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're talking now where there, there's comedy clubs in every city, every mining city. Course. Every little town has a bar that does a comedy night, some yeah. week night, someplace. So a friend of mine took me to a, a coffee house in Washington, D.C. It was the, called the Iguana Coffee House. It was the basement of a church. Okay. And it's 1977. It just a bunch of hippies trying to outlast disco. They're just holed up down there in a bunker mentality, trying to deny what's going on around them. You know, deny the whole bell-bottom platform shoes, John Travolta, Saturday Night Fever, just trying to deny it. Really, it was, and um, it was just an open town night. There were all sorts. I followed a poet. I followed a poet. Wow. A poet. And I have the tape because I taped this big old cassette tape, like one of those shoebox size. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sure, yeah. And. Uh, on the tape, I, right, right, I, you can hear the poet. His last line was, "Like the mango, we are ripe for the revolution." <laughs> <laughs> Holy so crap. he was seventy-seven. He was way behind on the revolution, right? But he was Whoa. way ahead of mango. Nobody was talking mango. Of course, then. of course. And uh, <laughs> so I got introduced, and uh, it was like this. 
one of these, you know, like 70s FM DJ kind of long hair type guys. I don't uh -huh. know what he was doing there. And he's, he goes, uh, this next guy is going to try something funny. <laughs> and that kind of voice, like it was a warning. Like, he's going to try something funny. So I, I'd watch your purses and wallets if I were you. He's, and I got on stage and started. I planned five minutes. I don't, I'd written five minutes. Now, the, to me, the funny part is I, I didn't, nobody taught me how to write jokes. I'd never written a joke before, mm -hmm. but I knew how to write a joke. Okay. Even though I, I bombed. I mean, I really bombed. I mean, sure. Like, I, in, at first of all, I got heckled a minute into it. Two oh guys my. were playing chess. Two guys were playing chess. They turned to me and went, shh, I got shushed. That was oh, my first heckle. Oh, wow. Right? You know what I mean? And, you know, <laughs> and then I got one reaction. In five minutes, I got one reaction. One guy went, huh. That's all I got was just like a, you know, a huh. And I'm telling you, man, <laughs> oh. I took that tape player back in my room and I kept playing that huh. Like, rewind, <laughs> huh, rewind, huh. I mean, you know, just, I was so intrigued by that one reaction. <laughs> But I knew how to. I wrote a joke that 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 laugh I got that huh. I've done this joke just as a an effort. I've done this joke in comedy clubs now, and it gets a laugh. I go, this this is the first joke I ever wrote that I could do now as a laugh. But it, then I probably messed it off anyway. So uh -huh. you can always tell who's going to win a wrestling match just by the introduction. In professional wrestling, I'll be in the far corner. In the next match, in 187 pounds in the blue tights, some uh, T-neck New Jersey, Ed Arnold, his opponent, in the far corner from parts unknown. At 417 pounds, wearing a bumper from a 1955 Buick on his head, <laughs> Haystacks Calhoun. It's the same same thing it. in right same it. thing in high school wrestling. In the 130 pound weight class from Oak Crest Regional High School, two time New Jersey State Champion, two time Christmas Tournament Champion, undefeated senior <laughs> Captain Bob Siraki. His opponent from Pennsville High School, former Student Council Treasurer. <laughs> if that was my first joke. <laughs> I love it. Have you digitized this tape? Have you digitized no, that? No, I didn't. Oh, I, and my I, God. And I, I found it. I played it, and I got to find it again because like an idiot, oh. I didn't digitize it, but I'm pretty sure I know where it is. I'm going to get it out and try to Man, find it. Man, if you ever digitize it and you're, you're right. willing to let me put it on an episode as a tag to I'll tell episode, you what. That's a deal. Now you've just forced me to go do it. I, I would will love find it. it. I will find it. That that's a deal. That is friggin' fantastic. Holy crap. Yeah. I did, if only to hear the mango and the huh, like those two bits. That's, are, right. that's right. That is valuable stuff. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> now see that's the that's the, well, the now see how many people I know a lot of people who did it one time had that kind of reaction never went back again mm. but that one huh was enough to bring me back because I had to do it yeah. I had to keep doing it yeah I mean that huh was not it was not deterrent to fight I ignored four minutes and fifty eight seconds of bombing for two seconds of huh that's right it, or a half second whatever it is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well I mean like if. I guess if you're a soldier and you got one bullet and that one bullet works, like you, you know, the I rest came are back duds. and build off that huh. You that's know what, what I mean? Did. Like exactly. Yeah. Like that's you can't not. It's so <laughs> I know. like it's exhilarating. I know. Um, is okay. So if we're gonna talk about that first half, this the, the uh, just about there are just there's some wonderful bits that like how the hell? So like I said, this is 1960, and I want people to sit and compare. Uh, you know, at the same time, we've got the button down mind of Bob Newhart, which, by the way, it's on my wall. I love that album. It's brilliant. But like he's doing this social satire that nobody would have had the balls to do. You know, you, you forget all the, you know, I know and sometimes a young comic, you know, I'll say, mm -hmm. listen, I'll let Bruce look. I listen to him. He's not that funny. He said, you have to put him in a context of his time. 100% you know, What yeah. everybody else was doing. Because when the whole thing kind of blew up and and, and that was Shelley Berman's album was the first one to go right, gold, right. right? Okay, yeah, sure. So then they started looking for other comics because now they're selling albums. Yeah, New yeah. Newhart's first album, by the way, you know, he never performed stand-up. I know. Right. So it's his, crazy. So whatever it was, Lenny Bruce, when he's doing stuff about religion, Mm -hmm. And he's doing stuff like Religion Inc. or any of that kind of stuff. Nobody's doing anything like that. Yeah. He's so far out there. Mm -hmm. That's what you have to com 
compare him to everybody else. Mm-hmm. But there's, I still think he's funny anyway. No, of course. I mean, there's a bit here. Like he can you. He uses some some language in character. Like that's the thing. Like it gets a laugh for me only because it's in character. You know, it's like I he does this bit with the where the comic is just like I didn't get to do this. I didn't get to do this. I, I had all, I had this fag bit. I didn't get to do my fag at the baseball do, game. Yeah, fag at the ballpark. I didn't like, get to do my fag the ballpark, at the ballpark. Like, it's just such a fu- oh my god. So and it's just even in, though he you know you, the, he's mocking already. He's mocking guys who do that kind of material. Exactly. As cheap and hacky mm-hmm. then he's mocking it mm-hmm. yes yeah, perfect brilliant Great. and right. and i think the other thing too that made me so happy is the audience is eating this up <laughs> oh the guys you can hear so hear, smart i love hearing these guys laughing who know where it's going <laughs> yeah yeah right and and when you talk about that when he says get to do it you know i got i got stuff for everybody you know i've got the egghead stuff for the stevenson crowd you know <laughs> right right it's just and then i got my hip smoker reefer cat for the musicians you know like he's 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 a hack that does stuff just for other people to let you know like i know yeah. they'll like this so i do a joke about that mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's great. they just eat it up so much like oh. and they they but i mean like he's got these smart audiences that i mean and again, not to insult any of the other audience, a lot of the stuff is middle of the road. A lot of the stuff I love and grew up on is middle of the road. Yeah, but yeah. like, it's refreshing to hear this audience that really appreciates what he's I doing. I just imagine a bunch of like just kind of knowing hipsters sitting Must in be, there, right? just kind of like going, "Go on, Lenny, rip it, rip yeah, it, man." Yeah. <laughs> he was jazzy, right? There's one. Uh, there's a line he wor- he uses. It's actually early in this bit too, which kind of stuck out to me. Based just based solely on the fact that you know he had all this trouble with uh you know in, in the courts and with censorship and specifically over over what what is prurient he's got that whole bit later on what prurient interest is oh. oh it's so so good and like you hear the vitriol in his voice but he's also keeping calm he uses this line here and this is way before any of his troubles he uses this line he's talking about this bad comedy and he refers to it as out and out oral pornography <laughs> oh right and it's just it's so funny for him to use that word as a as a you know as a crack against somebody else but like it's beautiful but he used them in the context and that is true today there's a lot of oral pornography today Mm-hmm. There are a lot of, you know, it's funny how the double standard has changed. There's a lot of women today who can talk about things on stage, mm-hmm. you know, getting drunk and doing things sexually. A lot of, I don't know how, how what your language you're allowing here is. But oh, you can say whatever. Yeah, a lot of blowjob stuff. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and so they could talk about sex on stage the way they couldn't before. Sure. And to me, that's all pornography. You know, you're talking stage for an hour about your vagina, about anal sex, blowjob. <laughs> guys will sit. I'll listen to that all night long. There's your guys going, talk away. Uh, right, right. <laughs> so when Lenny's doing this, you know, by the way, I always, when he, he, I just think, and I'm not the only one that thinks this, a lot of people, that, that, that language, you know, the language he was using was just a pretext to bust him for really going yeah. after him about the religion. Yeah. That's what they were going. He was a Jewish guy making jokes about not just the Jewish religion, but the Catholic religion. And a lot of people who are busting were Catholics, a lot of Irish, right. a lot of Catholic cops, prosecutors, sure. judges. So I think it was a pretext because B.S. Pulley, I have a B.S. Pulley album. There were other mm-hmm. other nightclub comics back then who were, their language is worse than Lenny and all the time, just throwing right. the F word in there. For no, he didn't use it. If you listen to Lenny, he wasn't like he was doing F-bombs right and no, left. No, not at all. Not at all. No. He's just He used it in the context of like, you know, like the ant thing, you know, the ant <laughs> you know, just a bunch of cocksuckers down there. Well, I don't know. I could do it a show like that. You want to get them to stop? That's all. I can. I, I can tell them to stop. That's another. Want to get you to end all that? That's what he said. You want to get you to end all that? <laughs> yep. well, I can tell them to stop, but I don't know what else I can do. <laughs> He's got this 
it's funny because I am um, we might have talked about this the last time so forgive me it was five years ago audience uh-huh. so if you guys have heard that one recently I apologize I'm probably covering a lot of he's got a very distinct voice but also he loves to do voices like he's got his English guy he's got oh, like, that, his Irish yeah, guy yeah, the, 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 whole the manager the theater manager yes, played yeah. in theater manager <laughs> well he started doing he started as an impressionist mm-hmm, right? right so he started he he had that ability to mimic and yeah he's they're great they're which great is kids. so shocking because his voice again is so distinct normally you think of like Frank Gorshin. If you're going to go back, like Frank Gorshin was a kind of, he looked like a blank slate, that guy, until right. he moved his friggin' face or did a voice. Like he could pull any face whatsoever. When Lenny Bruce is, I think, pretty distinct looking and sounding, it's funny to me that he started out that way. I, I think you have to really work hard to drop that because the temptation is if you become a dedicated impressionist, you don't have a comedic voice. Right, sure. And there's a, there's a temptation, I think. There, um, you know Gilbert Gottfried from my generation. Yeah. Gilbert, Gilbert's like a Gilbert is great impression, amazing, terrific. Yeah. But he would use them in like Lenny Bruce in context of bits and stuff, mm-hmm. and then he had that very distinct Gilbert voice mm-hmm. that that so he he didn't get seduced by. It. It's very easy, I would imagine, when you have that kind of talent to just do voices and the for sure. audience loves it, right? Yeah, I mean, I guarantee you, in the eighties, if I had decided I wanted to do stand up, that would one hundred percent would have been what I would. But it would have been the I would have done it poorly because it would have been which would go a little something like <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. That would I mean, be me. Imagine Every... Hollywood High School. There was <laughs> who was that comic used to do that? Oh God, I don't. I, right? I, there was I've one of those that, old yeah. old impressions. Going, imagine Hollywood High School. Humphrey Bogart saying next alarm but call you know it's like yeah, boom, yeah, boom, yeah. Boom, yeah. turn around do the yeah. thing with a collar or your face or all the all the compressions of my, the, in my era who did jack nicholson they'd of hold course. their heads back over their forehead of course and there was a story once of a guy who was bald and he would put his hand up there anyway as if he was <laughs> and, and people go why would you do that he goes that's what you do with a nicholson impression he'd watch <laughs> other guys do a nicholson impression and he didn't realize that no they just want to get the widow's peak when their hair um, okay, that is amazing. Right. Oh, wow. you know, well, I, I, I want to keep talking about Lenny Bruce, mm, but I mean, mm. the, let's talk about your book for a bit, only because we'll promote it for sure at the very end. No, but no problem. We'll talk about Lenny all you want. It's very specifically, I mean, your book's very specifically about cutting your teeth in the eighties, right? The comedy boom, right? Like the first comedy boom that we think of, right? Uh, I have, I have no intelligent questions about it, but I, tell me what the book's about. <laughs> well, I started off. With, with what got me into doing stand-up comedy, mm-hmm. a little bit of that. And then I sort of surfed that wave. I was started doing it in 77, moved to New York in 79. So mm-hmm. when the thing hit, really hit 80, like really clubs yeah. started popping up like crazy all over the country. In 1980, I was perfectly suited to just start headlining and work in these clubs yeah. and performing. So I tried to cover the history of it, how that happened. It went from the 70s when there were no comedy clubs and then these little scenes were popping up. There was a scene in Washington, D.C. that Louis Black and Kevin Rooney and Ron Zimmerman, all these comics were down there hanging around Washington, D.C. doing comedy. Yeah. Then there were scenes in Boston, scenes in, in Chicago and in Houston. There were at San Francisco, of course. And then all of a sudden, this explosion. And so yeah. I tried to cover the history of it, like mm-hmm. where people were doing it and how that was happening. At the same time, my journey through it, which was... I tried to cover every aspect. There's, there, it's 82 bite-sized chapters. I mean, bite-sized. Oh, wow. Quick, That's small, awesome. Okay. Small, quick reading, right? And it covers every little aspect of it. I covered the story about heckling, so I cover heckling. I cover a story about joke thievery, joke writing, mm-hmm. or, or every little aspect I could wow. find about it. You know, that's what I did. That's awesome. So I tried to cover all the things that I found that, that were important in doing stand-up comedy, the art form, mm-hmm. and then my journey through it. You know, that's it. You know, people don't talk enough about the, it. Just it's actually it's something I don't think about is the idea that there are just so few clubs. But what makes you does that 
is that what makes you uh, realize that you have to be a comic? Because even though you don't have a place to fucking do it, you just have to find look a way? At, look at this. I was in Washington, D.C. There was nobody. I knew nobody yeah. doing stand-up comedy. But you needed to do it And I needed reason. to do it. And I started doing it. I didn't even know it was called. I probably didn't even know it was called stand-up comedy. I don't think right. I related that to myself. I was doing it in bars. A friend of mine had a band. They'd take a band break in a bar. I'd jump on stage and do it. You know, people Holy were like, well, what are you okay, doing? Yeah. I went in and talked to a guy who had a little pizza shop and let me do it. Doing just in the corner of the pizza shop, people are sitting tables having a pizza, and I'm right. doing. They, they don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing it. Then I st- my first jobs were opening up for bands. Yeah, I mean, I opened up for bands. There was just nobody. And then on this little bar open, uh, it was open. Now Brookman's the guy, uh, uh, Paul Brookman's a young guy mm-hmm. our age, talked to his dad and let him just bring in comics in there. And he put okay. a thing in the Washington Post, a little newspaper thing. And a friend of mine saw it, and she said, "Look, they're they're, they're looking for comics to come to this." Okay. And I went there and met all these other guys, and so. You had to do it. Yeah. If you had to do it, you had to do it. There were probably, in 1979, I did a count, the best I could do. From mm-hmm. top to bottom, from Richard Pryor, Steve Martin, Robin Williams, at the top to the bottom, Yeah, there were probably 400 comics in the whole country. Right, right. There are 400 comics in Toledo, Ohio now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. 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 So, I mean, it was this, but at a point, where, but if people were had to do it, they'd do it. Like, you know, they would hear that there was a scene in San Francisco. I think Bobby Slayton was like that, and mm-hmm. and, and Steve Pearl and these guys that would just go, "I'm moving out to San Francisco to do this." Yeah, you know, or guys that heard about New York and they would just move to New York to do it. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. it's it's no more crazy, maybe necessarily. Than me. Well, no, it is crazier than me coming out here because I know films out here. You don't know what the hell's out there necessarily. You don't know. As a I, didn't, I I was doing uh, stand-up comedy in Washington D.C. for about a year. Mm-hmm. For a friend of mine, she came to see me at this L. Brooklyn's one night, and she and she said. You know, there are clubs like this in New York City mm-hmm. where guys are doing stand-up comedy. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then she took me up there. I was like, what? Oh, my God. And it was the comic strip, the Catch a Rising Star and the Improvisation. We, it was a Saturday night. We couldn't get in the uh, Catch a Rising Star and the Improv. We got in the comic strip. I'm sitting there watching this show, five, six comics. Don't remember anybody except for one guy. Mm-hmm. One guy at the end had a whole great material, had a whole bit about the amusement parks mm-hmm. and the helpless father and son bumper car team mm-hmm. it was jerry seinfeld really so you know that it was then i was like oh there's a place i got to get to i got to get up here yeah i got to get up here that's great because i feel like in in a situation like that in dc especially or any of those places basically anywhere but new york or san francisco you if you're gonna do like you said those bits where you're just in between other acts or introducing an act you might as well be taking a dump on stage like people are probably so thrown that you're even there they, they don't even, they, i'm walking up they don't even know like half the time they introduce they wouldn't even say comedian i had to tell yeah. the guys introduce me because it might be some radio dj or yeah. it might be some some guy off who does the sound mm-hmm. and i'd say you have to say comedian rich shiner so at least have something some idea. Might, somebody may hear that word and go oh he's going to try to be funny yeah otherwise i'm walking out there going what's he doing he doesn't have a guitar. He's just walking for the mic. What's is he going to adjust the mic? Is the band about ready to come right, out? Right, right. Is he a roadie? Good God, yeah. that's crazy. I mean, that's that's a hell of a way to 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 learn that it's necessary for you, though. I uh, I, had to, I had to, really a lot of my early learning experience was doing rock cl- crowds. I mean, was doing those kind of things. That's how I it's really looking back. It's insane that I was learning to do stand up comedy while I was doing that. That's nuts. That yeah. is nuts. That's yeah. awesome, though. Uh, well, then I really that's need being to... young. You can't buy that, man. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's what. That's something that youth has that age can't buy. Man. Mm-hmm. Is twenty four at the time I you was said twenty four? Is like you're just like bulletproof. Just yeah. like I'm. This is what I'm going to do, and nothing's stopping me. That's awesome. That's yeah. so good. Well, I I really need to read your book then. And w- when does it come out? It's out now. It's out now. It's out now on Amazon. Son of a bitch! I'm the worst pitch man ever. All right. We'll make sure that we p- uh, pitch it at the end too, because uh, I don't want people to forget. Uh, they won't. It sounds like an amazing freaking book. Um. So then, 
if I'm not mistaken, side B opens up with him talking about Huey Long, which is where the title comes from. We're talking about how his whole bit, which, by the way, like political leanings or not, uh, does remind me so much of Trump. There's just so much of just like all this bluster. You know, I'm not a nut. That's the bit. I mean, it's called I'm not a nut. Elect me. You don't know where the hell it's coming from, but that's so good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Again, another long bit where he's just like kind of seems like he's meandering into this world, imaginary world of yeah. Huey Long. Yeah. yeah. And what kind of a racist dipshit he must have been. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Elect me. I'm not a nut. <laughs> That's so good. My opponent's a nut. <laughs> Dismissing his yeah. his servant. Uh, and then it, my fa- I mean, the, my favorite bit in the whole thing is his daughter comes home and says, well, daddy, I, I, I'm dating somebody. He's in the theater world. Well, that's fine. And what's his name? Harry Belafonte. Oh, an Italian boy. Huh? All right. <laughs> so, so, so good. Right. It's brilliant. Right. Uh, do you have a favorite bit on this whole album? Like, is there, or is it just for you, like, just pretty complete? Is it just like a whole experience? I guess any, any bit on this album is for me. Cause I just, I, I guess connected emotionally to my, you know, an introduction to stand-up comedy almost yeah. really between that and carlin but but um the palladium it's the palladium the palladium bit the yeah. palladium i mean i love the rest of it all sure. you know but it's the palladium i mean that's just to me it's 19 minutes of perfection it's a great story yeah he acts it out mm-hmm. like he said all the characters the lines you know how are you gonna follow that except for a leper on the art baker show <laughs> you asked for it you got it <laughs> an arm I wish I. That's the other thing too. Visually, I, I, you're missing so much, and I would love to have seen him perform. Oh, you come know? on, right? God, there, you know that's how I would waste a time machine. They go, you got a time machine. You got like ten trips in the time machine. I go, oh, I'm going back we'll to Lenny Bruce, Bruce, 1960. That's, that's awesome. what I'm. You're not going to go back to like Lincoln and no, well, I'll be one. <laughs> I'll be another. But Lenny Bruce, definitely one time for sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 You can bring Lenny Bruce with you to kill Hitler. <laughs> I, <you know? laughs> He'd enjoy it thoroughly, I think. Yeah. Um, and then there's another bit too. He's like, there's so much where he's like, you could argue he doesn't need to be. <laughs> This is a stupid thing to say, but you could argue he doesn't need to be as relevant as he is. He's so funny. He could be doing hack jokes and be making money. Sure. But he's like, no, fuck it. Like, I, I think right. he, he's, he's easily so, you can hear in his voice that he's so tired of these assholes that he has to deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that. to me, that's the magic of it. Like, I can't personally go and sit and listen to him read out court transcripts while I think they're he's very funny and he's got a good point. He's got a reason for doing it. Doesn't he, he has a whole album called Lloyd Got Me Arrested, right? If I'm not mistaken. But I would much rather listen to him doing the shit that pissed so many people off because it's coming from his heart. Yeah. Like, and it's not a black heart, but it's definitely a damaged one. Well, I think any comic like that has to go, has some spend some time in the desert. In his yeah. desert were the strip clubs around L.A. Yeah. So he had to spend that time where he was, you know, working places where they don't want to see a comic at all. Mm-hmm. And he's playing in a band, and every once in a while, some more people come in to see him because they hear about him, and he sort of takes over rooms. Yeah, every comic has to go through that. That has that sort of daring that I'm going to be different and I'm yeah. going to do it my way. You have to spend some time. You know, I've said in the book. Um, you know, uh, I worked a lot and I was friends with with Bill Hicks, and he spent mm-hmm. a lot of time walking people out of the out of the room. But looking back, what he was doing was whittling an audience to find a following. Yeah, yeah. You know, he was he was carving those people out that weren't going to be into him, and he didn't care. Right. But the people were left. He could build from that core. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's and it's it, it's the same Takes on, on a bigger yeah, exactly it does, but it's the same on the bigger on a bigger scale of what you're talking about earlier. You're one ha, you're just hunting them down, hunting down all those so that you get a full room of laughs. That's again, it's it's super gutsy. What was it? What was the shock like to you? I'm assuming there was a shock when you first go to New York and start doing actually doing comedy that you had previously been seeing people do. 
Like when you first do it in a big city, when you yeah. first do comedy, like what? What's your first? Did you bomb? No, immediately? I didn't. I, no? I've been doing it. Let's see. For, again, I was doing it for two years, and I mean, I was doing it. I was doing it everywhere, almost every night from mm-hmm. the beginning. I knew instinctively it was all a matter of stage time. I had to get on stage as much as possible. Sure. So if I I was finding place to perform, and then I was getting gigs, and like I said, opening up for acts, or I was doing it a lot. So I, when I got to New York, I was had been doing it for two years, and I felt pretty good about what I was doing, and I was working with a lot of those comics. They were coming down from New York City. Mm-hmm. There, was, there were guys, Glenn Hirsch and, and Rick Overton and Kelly Rogers. These sure. were all comics. That, all those guys, Seinfeld, Godfrey, they'd all come down to work in a club called Garvin's, which it opened. It was okay. the first professional club east of the Mississippi that, that was paying comics Jesus. from out of town. Mm-hmm. So all these guys were coming down, so I met them, and I was working with them. And I, got, I started feeling, you know, I, I can hang with these guys. You know, I, I, was, I can... I can, I can work this thing too yeah so i had familiarity so i went up there but the hang you have to hang you have to work into any area you know if you hang i'd hang night after night not get on stage at the improv mm. and there were other little rooms we could go to to get some stage time mm-hmm. like good times and a place called the triple in triple h in uh, there were some places in new york there were b rooms yeah besides the the three main ones and um one night uh, I was hanging out on a Friday night. It was a paid spot. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was a late night comic, which means I'd get on like one or two in a morning. Ugh, all right. But this was a paid spot. First show, a comic didn't show up to follow Gilbert Godfrey. Gilbert Godfrey was a monster to follow. Mm-hmm. And he had this spot. They always put him on. There'd be three comics, then a singer, then Gilbert. Okay. And then one more comic, and the show was over. So the last comic was almost a check spot, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're paying spots, and you follow Gilbert. So they did it. it was a tough spot. Yeah. So this guy doesn't show up. And I, I'm sitting in the bar, and there are no other comics sitting in the bar because I'm hanging out every night. I don't care. Yeah. I hang out. It's Friday night, and I see uh, um, Chris Albrecht, who became uh, a big executive HBO. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. And, and him and, and, and Howard, Howard Klein was the assistant manager. I see them looking out. From the looking them down the bar and they don't see anybody but me. <laughs> I see them. I see them pick up the phone and I know what they're doing. They're calling over, catch a rise, and start the comedy strip. Is there any comic there coming over? We need a comic fast. <laughs> oh, and nobody's showing up. So finally, Howie Klein comes over and he says, uh, "We need somebody going to follow Gilbert. Can you do okay? Can you follow Gilbert?" I said, "Yeah, I can follow him," and I did. Shit. I followed him, and they went, "Okay, you're a paid regular now." And I felt like I was made wow. a made man. I felt like I walked out of that night and went, "I'm a paid regular to That's... improv now." Which means I will get now twenty five dollars for a weekend spot. <laughs> I have arrived. That's great. Oh, that's so. Oh my. So God. that's that was that's what you had to do. You just have to hang and hang and mm-hmm. hang and wait for your moment. And I was a vulture. I was a vulture. I would sit in here all night long, night after night after night, waiting for that moment, and it happened. Yeah. In the meantime, doing other stuff elsewhere. Oh but yeah, you come yeah. Come there yeah. and you're just holding yeah, on. Yeah, but I didn't have any other spot for Friday night. Didn't yeah. have any place to go. So I literally, I would sit my butt in the chair and drink, drink Coca Colas all night long, waiting from eight until. And then of course they would might put me on at two or three in the morning. Yeah. When there was no, there was nobody left in the room and it was mm-hmm. not paid spot. But to get that paid spot, I knew I'd have to wait during a regular show for somebody not to show up. Man. To 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 follow what I can only and I, again I don't I don't really know Gilbert Gilbert no, Gilbert used to he had so, <laughs> look he had so many great bits but he had this one bit it was a uh, a Tony a comic from Brooklyn Tony I can't remember his, his last name for it or not but he put on this really cheesy polyester jacket mm-hmm. and then he do he would break down jokes basically he goes why 
Why did the moron throw the clock out the window? Because he's a fucking moron. Are you listening to me? He's a fucking moron. Listen to the fucking joke. And he'd break him down, each joke like that. Why did the chicken cross the road? Because a fucking chicken. Who gives a shit why? It's got a brain this big. It's got a fu- It's a fucking chicken. Who knows? And he'd break down comedy like that. Yeah. So then if you came on afterwards and tried to do regular comedy, observational comedy, yeah. you they'd be like, no, <laughs> no, that ain't going to work now. Holy crap. Yeah. Did you, Is there... So what's always interesting to me is like when people come on the show and they say, you know, for instance, I had um, to speak of Brother Theodore. Uh, that episode hasn't aired yet, but I had a comic named Derek Sheen came on and he said, I want to talk about Brother Theodore. I'm like, Ooh. OK, cool. And let's let's listen to it. Kind of it blew my mind. It was also really upsetting to listen to. But <laughs> obviously, like I could talk to him about his influence, but it wasn't like. He's not doing Brother Theodore. And, like, I can't assume that you're just doing Lenny Bruce, but, like, is there something about Lenny Bruce's delivery or anything that directly found its way into you? Or is it just you loved it and you wanted to do I just loved it, and it was like I wanted to be funny. Here's a guy being funny. I loved it. I could never approach his daring. I tried a few times. It just wasn't Mm -hmm. me. I was just too much wanting to get the laughs. I wasn't willing to to spend that time in the desert, to be honest with you. Sure, And uh, I didn't have that kind of agenda in my heart. Yeah. So, no... Um, no, and I've and I've been on stage and quoted Lenny Bruce and always gave him credit. Like I've sure, sure. Bits. In fact, I, I I I did this bit when I talked about when I was young and I used to um, I used to drink uh, when I couldn't get the alcohol and I I was a big drinker and uh, when I was young I couldn't get alcohol. I'd go into the drugstores and they used to sell Robitussin with codeine over the counter. Oh, so I'd go in. I said and I'd order it like a Lenny Bruce bit. You know, I go, I need a couple of pencils, a notebook, and 14 bottles of Robitussin, <laughs> which is just a, his glue yeah. bit, yeah, like yeah, the yeah. ordering the glue. Yeah. But I'd give it a credit to Lenny Bruce, okay, but, yeah. but I can't <laughs> I, I can't think there's any way that I did anything like him. I could, like, I don't throw Yiddish into the act. Sure, right, you know, right, right, right. Uh, whenever I try to even do Yiddish, which I love, it's the, it's the comedy language. Sure. But I make him sound like small towns in Indiana. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I can't do Yiddish. Well, I can't do any accent, sure. any any kind of language <laughs> other than barely English. Yeah, I mean, and, and what's funny is, like, I've learned over time that the answer is going to be, obviously, no, I'm not doing them. And oh, no, the, the, like, the influence is not necessarily obvious. But what I do like hearing is is that, a guy whose life experience is so nothing like yours yeah, yeah. is still what he's giving is so important to you that yeah. it's like, well, fuck, but, I but have the, to do this. You know, he said things like, he would say things that really struck me that I didn't think anybody else knew. Like, if you ever hear the end of his uh, concert at Carnegie Hall, mm-hmm. when he talks about Judy Garland, and he talks about, she, he says, uh, Judy Garland was on stage singing, and she says, ah, and people are yelling out requests, and she's singing them. She goes, yell, all, yell them all out. Because I want to be here all night. I'll sing them all. Yeah. I don't never want to go home. And then Bruce does a bit about that's the whole thing, not wanting to go home because yeah. you go home alone. This yeah. is great. But when you go home alone, when you're alone, and you want your mom to come in and give you the glass of water, not for the water, just so mom's there. Yeah. And yeah. that, those Wolf. sort of moments where I went, oh, I get that kind of loneliness. I get that kind of yeah. fear. Yeah. And those were more than just jokes. Right. Yeah, God damn. he was more than that. He was a philosopher. That's why he'd say, "I'm not a comedian. I'm, I'm, I'm Lenny Bruce." <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, 
we're, we're gonna. I want to hop back a little bit. Okay, for, first of all, he does this whole. Uh, I think I was trying to move into this earlier, but I distracted myself. The white collar drunk thing. It's just <laughs> too real. It's too real. <laughs> yeah. and I'm assuming as a comic, you've seen that asshole in a club. Yeah. Like you know, it's just so indignant and just. No, nah, I'm fine. Like I can't. I can't remember any of the bits specific, but it's just. This is. A, I think there's some visual things in this bit too, where he's just like. Is playing it like just really tight, like just a, a tight drunk that's just like barely keeping it together. Yeah. But it's yeah. just, uh, and again, it's another, it's just a character bit. Like he moves into it like you would move into any bit. But those, those looks, you're, you know, I'm, I'm, um, um, German Irish extraction. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when I was younger, blonde hair, blue eyes. And people come up to me in the clubs after a show and they'd want to tell me a joke. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they'd start off, all right, two black guys, I go, stop. Uh -huh. You know why? I said, it's going to be a racist joke. No, it's not. I said, why has it got to be two black guys? Why isn't it two guys? Right. You know, a Jew. Stop. It's going to be anti-Semitic. Why? Why has it got to be a Jewish guy? Why is it not just a guy? Yeah. So you could see it. I mean, they would think because I am, or look like them or look the way sure. I do, yep. that I'd be okay with that. Yeah. They make that assumption. They were drunk, a little high or whatever. They make that assumption. And that bit that you're just talking about mm -hmm. is a lot of that in there. You know? Yeah. I'm my sister, you know, you know, and mm -hmm. all that, that sort of thing, man. You know, well, you know honestly, like. It is shocking to me that you you came up in stand up when you did, and yet you, you maybe that's maybe this is the link I could at least follow a little bit. You got a clear social conscience about you. There are a lot of comics who wouldn't give a fuck. Oh, They'd be no, like, oh, "That's no, fine." No. Yeah, you know, my, my my dad. I'll tell you something. About my my dad, he was a lot of things. He was when he got drunk, he got violent. He was he mm -hmm. was he was not 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 shy with his hands. Uh -huh. He was he was a tough guy in that way, and and um, but he had a real strict social conscience. And I I remember this is clearly. I was probably about 10, 11 years old. We were fishing in a little boat. My dad had his little boat. We were fishing out in the Salem Creek. And I saw a couple of black guys were fishing on the fishing off the bridge, mm -hmm. Salem Bridge. And I dropped the N-bomb. You know, I dropped the N-word. Mm -hmm. And my dad literally knocked me out of the boat. Oh, shit. Knock, like, just <laughs> whacked me. And I went right tumbling out of the boat. And I get back in the boat, and he's clear. He said, there are only two kinds of people. You're not going to use that word again or any kind of word. Good people, bad people. That's how you judge people. That's how it is. Yeah. That's how it is. And his there were four um, Jewish families in town. My mm -hmm. dad was was great friends with three of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, he his best friend was Cy Sendro, who ran a, a, a clothing business. And his best friend was a prosecutor, county prosecutor. He, he, he learned at an early age himself. As a, as a farm boy, he learned that lesson. Yeah. And so that that part of it I got from my dad, and I'm really grateful. I'm yeah. grateful, you know. And I and I, for whatever reason, I'm always an underdog guy. I love the underdog. Sure, I always love the underdog, you know. So that because I felt, I guess I related to that. Well, it makes for good comedy. I, know, mean, I used to root for the, you know, when I watched old movies and stuff, I'd root for the Confederates to win before I found out about slavery. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, sure, you know, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, they got to lose. But I'd root for, why can't they win once in these movies, you know? <laughs> right, right. I didn't understand, you know, as a young kid. But then they go, oh, the slavery thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I'm got rooting it, for the Yanks it. now. Forget the underdog. But yeah, yeah, I got that from my dad. But my I think dad. that social conscience is one of those things that makes you try harder as a person. And yeah. it probably makes you try harder as a comic because you're probably not taking the easy route for any jokes you know what i mean i maybe no, not I, any but I, 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 for the most I, part I, I thought about who every joke somebody gets a pie in the face every joke somebody's the butt of the joke in some yeah. way so that's what always gets me about people who want to do what they think is edgy material mm -hmm. a rape joke or mm -hmm. whatever it is better check to see who gets the pie in the face in that joke yeah are you mocking the rapist or are you mocking the the person who's being raped are you sure. mocking are you diminishing the rape act itself mm -hmm. which is an effect mocking the, the victim Mm -hmm. So check where you check where the pie's going. Yeah, that's your responsibility for any joke. 
Mm-hmm. So I didn't like doing jokes about things that people I felt couldn't change. I didn't like doing jokes about fat jokes. I didn't like fat jokes. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I did. You know, I just take jokes on human nature. But things that people can't change, I didn't like doing jokes about. Yeah. How the hell did you survive as a comic? <laughs> you blowing my mind left and right. Were, were that of, makes me look, happy. I'm watching guys. I'm watching guys. Listen, I'm watching guys in my generation. Forget like Robert Klein or sure, Carlin sure. or all those guys. My generation. I'm all the guys that I'm working with. They're that way. Yeah. I mean. Uh, Seinfeld, Larry Miller, true, yeah, Kevin Rooney, my best friends. They, those guys were all the similar. It wasn't like I was a lone wolf out there. With right, this. right, right. There were plenty. Look, when you get on the road, I had to deal with a lot of stuff on the road. You know, mm-hmm. I once was in Kentucky. It was just a one nighter at a bar, going mm-hmm. from one city to another in between. Yeah, you got this. You pick up a couple hundred bucks at a one nighter, right? And I followed this guy. I didn't know who he was, and he's he starts dirty, which I'm like, okay, I got to follow a guy who works for yeah, dirty. Yeah, then yeah. Then he got into racial, and I mean racial. Oh. Now the audience is laughing. They're laughing. Now I hate the audience before I go on stage. Yep, that right. was the worst experience I ever had. Woof. Wow. Because it's one thing that, you know, I hated the audience before I went on stage. Yeah. How do you perform for an audience? It was the worst show. I can't imagine a worse show. Yeah. I mean, I just did it as, wrote as, boom, 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 get my money. I should have just left. Yeah. I shouldn't even gone on. If I'd had any, I, you know, I just wanted drug money, I guess, or whatever it was. <laughs> but yeah, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, the, you've hit those people, but, but mm-hmm. the, uh, people in my generation, I, I, I can't. There were, there were very few people who, who would tolerate that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, and the, it, it's a perfect, this is a perfect uh, bit to move into, again, a two-person sketch on this album, <laughs> which is all about equality. It's about a Jewish guy and a black guy who, if I'm not mistaken, have been in prison together one way or another. They're, they're shackled together. And just like this whole... Just this whole bit of sort of trying to understand equality and not quite getting well, he's it. He's doing a it's a movie parody, of, right? Of um, uh, Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier. Oh shit! Yes, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I can't think of it, and I can't remember what the name. Yeah, is they, they, that's yeah. that's what he's doing. That's mm-hmm. exactly a parody. Yeah, but it's unbelievable. So so right? so perfect. Like, and also there uh, there's a couple bits there too where like again he where he uses where you get this impression. Again, I wasn't alive then, right? So my brain is like, what? where are people's brain when he's going to use a certain word? Because he says, in character, says the word darky, okay? And then the audience gives a laugh, a knowing laugh that is not, ha-ha, darky's funny, ha-ha, that's a word we don't use. That was actually what I got, and I was shocked to hear that. Well, I think he was doing it in the character. I think they're laughing at the character. Yeah, the which character was great. Would, would use that word thinking, well, I'm not using the N-word, so this is okay. Right, right, you know, right. It's like yeah. how people go like, you know, like, you know what I mean? It's like, well, this one's all right. Yeah, this right, one's all right. right. Yeah, they don't like the N-word anymore. <laughs> darky, how can you have a problem with Darky? They're Darky. <laughs> right. So I think that, that that was part of it. You know, Lenny, if, again, he only worked basically like four markets. Mm-hmm. Lenny wasn't going out. I mean, he did when he did go out, went out to places like Lima, Ohio, mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. or Milwaukee. <laughs> his stories about that. And he bombed. It was hard for him to get out of, of the, the places of San Francisco, Chicago, New York, and Miami. Is basically yeah. where he worked. Yeah. So you know, uh, once he got out to those places, he had problems with people who would be like, w- w- "What's wrong with that?" You know. Yeah. Uh, right. Oh, what do you God. mock him? <laughs> I, there's, there's just. Probably my favorite bit of that whole thing, other than him saying Kanish over and over again, <laughs> which is really great, is right at the end of it. Is is like the, the, the black guy is saying, "Who? who do you, I'm so I'm an idiot. I don't know the gentleman's name who's on the album with him." Eric, um, I can't think of his last name now, but he 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 did a couple of yeah, he did a few of them with yeah, him, right? Yeah. yeah, and he in it, I'll pull it up. Yeah, Eric, my audience um, will get very angry at me, um, but uh, he. <laughs> I want to say Eric Williams, but I don't know if that's true or not. 
He, I think it's Eric. He's talking about, you know, hey, we got some equality, don't we? And he like tries to compare these things. Hey, we commit a crime. We both do the same amount of time. And this, Yeah, but what about equal housing and equal this and that? Things take time, man. <laughs> like, it's just, and it's so fantastic. Like, Which that is delivery. so great because if you just saw the LBJ movie. Oh, right I didn't about see the, that. About I wanted vo- to. Civil, the Voting Rights Act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the argument they kept saying over and over. The Southern contingent would go. Come on now, it just takes time for these things. We just we just got the slavery ended things a hundred and some years ago. It takes time. These the movie, things take time. The movies, the, the defiant ones. I'm defiant ones. It. Thank you. And Eric Miller is the gentleman's Eric Miller, name. Okay. And if I'm not mistaken, probably the same guy who does the how to how to make your colored friends comfortable at parties. Yes, that's exactly other. right. That's right. Probably my favorite ske- thing that he's ever done. It's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I, I, bring, I think I've quoted it on here way too many times. Yeah. That Joe Lewis a hell of a fight. Hell of a- <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so good. And he's first guy to kind of do that stuff on stage. and Yeah. Groundbreaking in a million ways, but like, yeah. And to do it in a way that is just so, just upsettingly but it, it, funny. But, you know, it, it fit those times, too, because there was the beginning of the civil rights movement, yeah. the whole thing. So it really fit those times. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. it? Okay, now, I, I, I'm tempted to pull it up on my phone because I, I got into... Just got past him calling his aunt an old Jewish seagull, which is a really great line. It's all about him getting a tattoo. That's the bit he couldn't do on Steve Allen. That's one right. for Steve Allen, right? Is the punchline on this album not? Uh, then what do I? Uh, you, you can't you can't be buried in a Jewish cemetery because uh, you can't change your body. Well, when do I get my foreskin back? Because I've heard that as a punchline, right. but I don't think it's on this album. No, the album the, the punchline is uh, it will just take off my arm and bury that in the That's Goyen, right. there Goyen you go. cemetery yeah. and arrest me in the Jewish cemetery. That's right. Okay, so take the arm off with a tattoo and bury that in the Jewish cemetery. But I've heard a bit about foreskin, and I I swear yeah. to God, no, I can't yeah. find it. I cannot find that album. I can't or remember that, that one right now either. Okay. Okay. Honest with you. Um, this has been. A ton of fun. This has been I've so fun. much fun. Yeah. Um, I always like to ask right towards the end of the episode, uh, why would you recommend listening to this album? Let's say somebody's never heard Lenny Bruce. This is the first one that you're going to tell them to listen to. This is a man at the height of his powers, I think. Mm-hmm. And one of the greatest stand-up bits of all time, the Palladium is there. And if you if you want to see someone break down show business and the human condition at the same time, it's that bit. It's that bit. Yeah. It's just pure comedy. It's it's to me. It's the best. There's so that that out. That part alone is worth checking out. I think if you're, you're stand up right. comedy. If you're a stand up comic, I think it's like you'd have to. If I had a, I've had a course in stand up comedy in college, this would be one hundred and one. Yeah. That bit there. Ah, that's so good. Uh, let's talk about your book again. Uh, where can people find it? It's out already, but where can people find it? Where can people follow you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, it's kicking through the ashes. My life as a stand up comic in the nineteen eighties. Comedy explosion, stamp explosion. I didn't even know the title. Look at that. It's kicking through the ashes. <laughs> Just kicking through the ashes. Rich Scheidner, Amazon.com, Amazon selling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get a Kindle or you can get a, a hard copy. And uh, I'm, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, uh, Rich Scheidner, R I T C H S H Y D N E R, Rich Scheidner. And um, yeah, and my website's the same thing, richscheidner.com. That's awesome. Rich, thank you so much. My for pleasure. Doing it's this. been a real, real blast. Thank I you, can't guys. I believe I'd be talking like <laughs> Hey, no, you, I would be happy to have you back if you ever want to talk about another album. This is fun. This is Anytime. a ton of fun. I'd love it. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I Actually, is there? do you have any dates or anything that are coming up? Because in case oh, I just I need realized to this, I'm going to bring you a book. I have a book out in my car right oh, now. Oh, perfect. I'm thank bringing you. you a book. Please do. That's, I will. That's, thank and, you. And uh, uh, no, I have no dates. Uh, when is this coming out? When is this I coming? don't know, but I can put it out sooner if you needed to. No, nah, you don't need to. You don't need to. <laughs> 
You don't need to. Um, well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, go to lookingforwardmovie.com, which is the movie I've been doing as a series of blogs since March. By the time this comes out, it might already be completed, uh, but it'll be cut into a movie next next year. Uh, follow us at Com- Comedy on Vinyl on Twitter, all that good stuff. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Rich, thank you again for being here. Thank you. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune into the new Stand Up channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Mm-hmm.